Hey, welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully you'll experience one by the end of this. Right now, the smell of bipartisanship is in the air and it is very smelly. It's actually rank. But hey, at least hopefully soon we're not going to have to hear the word infrastructure again for a little while. But I'm so excited because it's summer movie season. People are starting to venture back out to theaters tentatively in this period of COVID recovery. Hopefully a sign that things are returning back to normal and people are ready to eat very unhealthy concession snacks way too loudly again. And on today's show, we're going to talk to a legit Hollywood legend, actor, director, everythinger, Rob Reiner, aka Meathead, to anyone over the age of 45. I'm joined, as always, by my producers, Adam Howard and Svia Baron-Reinstein, who are both, like me, just very sophisticated cinephiles with impeccable taste. Podcast gals, as you know, Rob Reiner has made so many amazing movies over the years. Do you have a favorite? What's your favorite? Well, I feel like I'm always out of place on this podcast because all you guys talk about are scary movies, and I've never seen any (laughs) of them. So today I really feel like it's my day. My favorite movie of all time is When Harry Uh Met Sally, so I'm very excited. It is. It is. What makes it your favorite movie? (laughs) <laughs> this is nice. Uh, I just, it's one of those movies that I could always watch. And I feel like okay, there are very few of those, that, like, regardless of the mood, you're always ready to watch. Mm-hmm. I love watching it on an airplane. Right. I love it. I love watching it in winter. It's a great seasonal movie. How many times do you think you've seen it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Probably once a year for the past, like, I don't know, 15 to 18 years. Wow, that's a weird guess. Okay, but that (laughs) feels right. Maybe twice some years. Are you excited then? I'm very excited. This is meaningful. He just feels like the type of person that, like, you know, we must be family friends. I was just going to say that he definitely feels like a person who I've known for yes. years. <laughs> it's just going to be so awkward for him. He's I'm going to tell him that. He's and it's really going to make him feel bad. Yeah. yeah. Like the look of an uncle, mm-hmm. you know. I was going to say yeah. like an inoffensive uncle. He's like one of the good ones. Yeah. He's what you want in an uncle. He's what you want. He's not what I got in an uncle, but he is what I wanted. Okay, Adam, what about you? Yeah, well, it's, now I feel funny because of the horror movie thing. I well, It was neck and neck for me between Misery, which is a scary movie, and right. Spinal Tap. And I, I'm going to go with Spinal Tap just because that I saw sort of at a formative age when I was sort of just getting into comedy stuff, and it was so different. And right. now we're all kind of accustomed to the whole mockumentary thing, but it, it really still holds up. It's maybe my favorite of all those uh, Christopher Guest movies. I just think the songs are really funny. The whole yeah. aesthetic is really good. And I find it's like very quotable, the whole like it goes to 11 thing and yes. all that good stuff. But yeah, it's just like great, subtle, beautiful acting and comedy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I agree with you. Spinal Tap, boy, very formative. I'll tell Rob Reiner the story of me and my history with Spinal Tap. I'll Ooh. save it. <laughs> I can't believe you don't already know my, it's not a big story, but I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> Were you in it? <laughs> I was. I, yeah, I'm in it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wrote the, the music. Yeah, 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 I was a groupie. <laughs> and also The Princess Bride. Yeah. Very, yes. very impactful for me. And I loved When Harry Met Sally, there's no question. And I I think Misery's great. It's really actually weird to talk to somebody who's made so many movies that I have loved. I'm not sure. And again, I'm going to repeat myself with him and make him really uncomfortable. But I'm not sure that there's a director alive or dead 
Oh, why don't I just make it creepy right <laughs> off the top? Whose work I have loved more or meant more to me just consistently. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's always like one big movie that you're like, this is, oh, I love when the meteorite is heading toward <laughs> Earth and it's the moon is coming and everyone's going to die soon. Like that's a great movie, but... <laughs> Armageddon. Is that what you're talking about? I'm, I was. I don't know why I started thinking of melancholia. Oh, okay, very Sorry. different. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah. I'm really excited. So let's get right into it. We're gonna take a quick break. But we have, as stated, Rob Reiner coming up. You're not gonna want to miss this. Joining me today is the legendary actor-director Rob Reiner. Audiences first fell in love with him 50 years ago when he debuted on the popular, very highly influential sitcom All in the Family as the liberal antagonist to the curmudgeonly conservative Archie Bunker, of which I was a dedicated viewer. Then he launched a prolific second career as an A-list Hollywood filmmaker, directing acclaimed hit movies, so many of them, like A Few Good Men, Stand By Me, Misery, When Harry Met Sally, just to name a few. He's also infamous for being one of the industry's most outspoken progressives, and I'm so honored that he is about to speak to me. Welcome to the show, Rob Reiner. Hi, Samantha B. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm podcasting to you from the state of Maine. Really? I have a bunch of friends that are in Maine right now. Are you from Maine? I am not from Maine. I'm from Canada. I'm from Toronto, Canada, but we do a family vacation here, so I'm in this weird cabin with all of this, right. like, twin beds. <laughs> we go to a place <laughs> where it's all twin beds. Um, <laughs> I am so delighted that you said yes to me. <laughs> Thank well, of you. Of course. Yes, absolutely. No, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Oh, I never take anything for granted. So I'm just, I'm so thrilled to meet you. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I'll get all the, I'll get the gushing stuff out of the way first. No, and you, then we can, you can keep gushing. If can I? I'll just yeah, do oh, it yeah. throughout. It's not every day that you get to talk to a person who is the creator and who is responsible for some of the, your favorite things that you've ever seen in your life, like formative movies. You know what I mean? Like, this is Spinal Tap, which I think really was meaningful to me, sir. So I thank you for all your work. It was meaningful to you in what way? I think that the style of it. Well, first of all, I went to see it with my grandmother in the theater at the Toronto Whoa. Eaton Center. Yes, we went together wow. into a very small theater and she thought it was a documentary. And <laughs> she was like, I don't think this band is talented. It's so funny because when we first screened it in Dallas, we had the same reaction. People came up to me and said, I don't understand. Why would you make a, a movie about a band that nobody's ever heard of and one that's so bad? Right. And I said, no, it's a satire. It's a thing. They didn't mm -hmm. quite get it. No. But now they, now they understand. Now they get it. But it was really. Oh, an animal just went by. That's one of my two cats. They'll probably start to fight behind me at some point. So either sure. we can tune right into their battles. They're epic. And they always do it behind me while I'm podcasting. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, they choose their moments. They do. Yeah. Have you have you been going to the movies since you've been vaccinated? You know, I have not. I've been vaccinated, but I have not gone to the movies okay. yet. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if people's habits are going to change. Are you know, are people going to go back to the movies? 
Yeah. Yes. They're going back for those big action tentpole franchise type movies, right. but will they be going back to movies that I would like to see? I, I don't know. Right. It does feel like the, the summer movie scene is so dominated by those big, like those big yeah. action movies and stuff and the Fast and Furious 9 and all of those kinds of movies. You need you need a, a man, the word man and mm-hmm. a number in the title. You do. It's Batman 3, Superman 4, Iron Man 7, Spider-Man mm-hmm. 8, you know, Fast and Furious Man 9. It's a nan and a number, and then you got a hit. You do. What What will make you go back to the theater? What do you think? What do you think well, is the I, special? I, I would like to see a, a movie. You know, I hate to say it, but I like a, a character-driven movie. Yes. Uh, it could be, a, 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 you know, a thriller, or it could be a political drama, or it could be a courtroom drama, or a family drama. But something that has developed characters and a story and great acting that give a full mo- a full meal, something that gives you a full meal. So it's not just an e-ticket ride, you know, a, right? A amusement park ride. Well, you and your wife have recently relaunched Castle Rock. Maybe you'll have to make <laughs> you'll have to make all of those movies. Well, I'll try. I mean, right now we just made this deal with Warner Brothers, you know, television, and we're developing all these television shows because. That's what people seem to be doing. I mean, they're watching, you know, they're binge watching, they're streaming, watching television shows. And we've right now we've got like 14 projects in development. One oh. we just sold to NBC Peacock. And, you know, you just, you know, you try to find things that you like and hopefully other people will like it. But I don't know about the movies. I don't know right. what's going to happen in terms of people going back to the theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Will Did you binge television shows during COVID? Oh, God. I mean, I've seen every single uh, Norwegian, Scandinavian, uh, cop thriller, every, everything on BritBox or Acor. I mean, we've watched, we've watched everything. Me too. I watched everything. What are you watching? I got all the way through American shows and then I just started making my way through all the British shows and now I'm on to all the French shows. So I'm watching the Bureau now. Did you see the Bureau? The Bureau's great. Have you seen Spiral? No. Spiral. Watch no. Spiral. It's great. It's a French show. And it's okay. again, it's cops. You know, there's two, there's great characters in it. And I want to recommend one other show to you. Yes, please. The Bridge. The Bridge. bridge. Not the American version. The Scandinavian version of The Bridge is sensational. I'm writing it down because I'm write gonna, it down. I'm going to take this tip from the man who brought me The Princess Bride and when Harry met Sally. Yeah. Well, there you go. I trust your recommendations. Yeah, they're good. Who are some of the current batch of filmmakers and creators who are inspiring to you? Well, I think Jordan Peele is, you know, right. done some interesting work. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a guy who's taken a genre, you know, the horror genre, and elevated it in a in a way that I've never seen before. That has social comment in right. it. I think he's done a, a great job. Right. Who else? I mean, you know. There's a lot of good people. Most of them are working in television, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Euphoria. I thought right. that was great. You know, and that's Sam Levinson, a good friend of mine, Barry Levinson. His son, Sam, okay. is not son of Sam. No. The, he is the son of Barry Levinson. It's yes. Barry's son, Sam. He does a great, great work. There's a lot of people that are doing really, really great work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I guess... On that note, because I think people look to, I mean, I'm going to go back in time a little bit. All in the Family was such a show. I mean, it was just like such, uh, I watched it. I loved it so much. It meant oh, so much you. to me. And when it premiered, I think it, it included a disclaimer, right? Because the network was worried that 
viewers yes. would be upset. Big disclaimer. First of all, you're not going back a little bit. I'm going you're back going a lot. Back bit. 50 years. Yes. I mean, that's when the show came on 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yes, there was a disclaimer. They had uh, basically they, you know, they were scared to death of what we were dealing with in the show, all these social and political and edgy, you know, we were, we didn't, uh, you know, test the edge of the envelope. We blew up the whole envelope. Yes. And, and so they put on a disclaimer basically that said, we don't know how this show got on. <laughs> we don't want to take any credit for it. You watch it. You want to watch it fine. But what we, you know, don't, don't bother calling us because we don't know how this got here. I mean, it was the biggest disclaimer ever. And it took a while for the show to, to catch on. And this is something I've always said, you know, which is really weird. Because if you love television, you love movies, you want a shared experience. Right. You love to, I mean, you know, people used to say Saturday Night Live, let's sit around the TV and make your whole weekend. Like, yeah. same thing with all the family. If you wanted to watch it, you had to watch it when it was on. There was no TiVo. There was no DVR. You, you had to watch it. So that meant every single week, 40 to 45 million people would have that shared experience. Right. And we were only a country of 200 million at the time. Now you're a country of 330 million and they TiVo at the thing. If you get 10 million people to watch something, that's like a monster hit. And you can never talk to anybody about it. Right. You watch a show. If it's a series, you go, uh, did you watch this? Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm only on episode three. I uh, don't tell me. So you can never discuss anything. With right, anybody. right, right, right. We don't have those kinds of water cooler conversations in no, the same way. No, I guess is no. Twitter our water cooler now? It's very angry. I, I guess, I water guess. Cooler. it's a weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's a weird water heater. I mean, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if we have water coolers anymore. That's I don't think so. Because that was such a shared experience, which it truly, truly was. Does it make you reflect on how much difficulty we have reconciling our differences. You know, I mean, I know it was a TV family and that classic relationship between a conservative parent and a liberal child or a liberal son-in-law, but are we just doomed for horrible Thanksgivings for the rest of eternity? Unfortunately, until we have respected news outlets that, that report the truth, I think you're going to have problems. I mean, we've got We've got a few uh, news outlets that just out and out lie. I mean, right. it's just a lie. And y- you can't argue with people who buy into a certain thing. You know, you know it used to be, yeah, we could all agree two and two is four. Now you, you can't even agree on that. So there's no way to, 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 to monitor this. Like when we were young growing up, there were three networks, then it became four. And you had respected journalists, Walter Cronkite, David Brinkley, you know, Chad Huntley, people who you respected and you watched it. And news was just that. It was news. And it was on 15 minutes. It was a big deal when Cronkite took it to 30 minutes. Then all of a sudden, 1968, 60 minutes came on the air. And it was the first time that they realized they could make money off the news. Mm. News was always a lost leader. It was a public service. You did it because you felt you had to, you know, serve your public. Then it became a profit center. And once that happened, all of a sudden you started trying to grab an audience. So now if you have, a, you know, a guy like, you know, a lying criminal like Donald Trump will say, I didn't lose the election. And if they keep promoting that on Fox or OAN or Newsmax or whatever, and people buy into that, how do you break that? How do you ever have the conversation at at, uh, Thanksgiving where you can say, 
No, no, no. He lost the election. We know this to be a fact. That's a fact. And you can't you can't argue with people who just, you know, Kellyanne Conway said it. Right. Alternative facts. There's no alternative facts. It's either a fact or it's not a fact. One of the facts we have now is that a big chunk of the public doesn't believe in facts and doesn't believe in truth. So that's that's tough. It's tough. Everything you're describing is true and everything you're describing is valid. And I'm just not sure how to, uh, you know, apart from like steering all of America away from commodifying news. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. There, There isn't a good answer. There are things that can be done if Twitter and Facebook and certain social media platforms recognize that they are not just sharing right. experiences but they're disseminating information into the bloodstream of the of the of the world and they have their own editorial ability to say it's one thing to say you know i want to get a, a conservative view on something and you so you watch you know read the wall street journal or you read there are a number of respected places where you could get a conservative view on things and have some validity because they back it up with their ideas of, of what, you know, what is conservatism. But now it's not that anymore. So those social media platforms have to recognize that and they have to take some kind of stance to say, you just can't print those things that are just not true. Do you see any reason, any realistic reason why Trump should be allowed back on any of these platforms? No, 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 because there's free speech and he's allowed to have freedom of speech. He can say whatever he wants. He can put together his rallies. He can go and do his rallies. But freedom of speech is not a guarantee that you're allowed to speak. You know, you just have the freedom to be able to speak if you can get somebody to listen. And I used to make this joke all the time. There was always the crazy person standing on a soapbox in the park that was ranting and raving about whatever. And most people, they'd stop for a second, then they'd walk by. There's Donald Trump is a raving lunatic saying crazy stuff in public. And instead of us going, oh, that's still interesting. I'm like, oh, what a lunatic. Let's walk by. They have people who will grab that and make money off of it. Right. And, you know, put it on the air and, you know, the my pillow guy can sell his pillows and whoever can do whatever. And, you know, we've now, uh, you know, glorified the, the right. lunatic in the park. It used to be a fringe lunatic. Right. Now we've glorified. Did you ever know? How, did you encounter each other? Do you have one time? I met him one time. I was with Billy Crystal. We were in a, in Atlantic City and they were oh. holding a fight, you know, at one sure. of his casinos, one of his failed casinos. It was a Mike Tyson fight. And uh, I met him for a little brief moment. And it was interesting because, you know, listen, that's I'm in show business. I work with actors. That's what I do. Actors have big egos. Every actor, including myself, we have egos. We want to be right. we want people to watch us, listen to us, pay attention to us. I've never met a man with a bigger ego than that man right. who was not an actor. I mean, he was just this guy. And I thought, Ooh, this is sad. This is really <laughs> sad because he needs so much attention. 
you know, it's not enough to look like, you know, I got money, I got these hotels. He needs to suck the attention out of them right. and could care less about what Billy had to say or what I had to say. Right, right, right. It was, it was, it was interesting. I thought, wow, this is, in real life, I never met a man with needed so much attention as that guy. Did you actually join Twitter so that you could publicly speak out against him? Or were you already? Yes. You did. Yes. That's the no, no. I, I started in 2015 when he got the nomination. Oh, oh, no, 2016, oh, 2016, yeah. right. right, when he got the nomination, just when he got the nomination. I, I didn't go on when he was trying to get it because I, I like an idiot, like everybody else, I thought, there's no way this guy's going to get a, right. a nomination. But once he got the nomination, then I said, this is dangerous. And my wife actually said, you know, you have a voice, people listen to you. I'm one of the few guys in Hollywood that has actually had a job in government. I spent seven years in California government here, and I ran a commission for early childhood. So I did understand the intersection between government, policy, and politics, and how all of those things work together. And when I saw this happening, I thought, oh my God, this is terrible. This is a terrible thing. We have a liar who is you know, a sociopathic liar, who uh, is a failed businessman. Is con- I, and I said this many times, that he's the one guy, the one thing he succeeded at, because he failed at Trump University, Trump Stakes, uh, casinos, Trump, everything failed. The one thing he succeeded at was convincing people he wasn't a failure. Right. A- and he did that great. I mean, he was a great, you know, the greatest con artist, snake oil salesman ever. And I saw this happening. I said, there's a guy who has, knows nothing about government. He knows right. nothing about uh, policy or the constitution or anything. And he could be just on the strength of his celebrity, become uh, a president. That's when I started speaking. Out. Right. I mean, it was all very funny until suddenly it wasn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. It got very unfunny no, I mean, very it, fast. It, it, yeah. Very fast. Well, it became increasingly less funny when People died. Yes. I mean, he had people at his behest, uh, you know, storm the Capitol and uh, and incite a deadly insurrection to overthrow the government. I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. It sounds really like an absurd kind of movie concept. Um, how scared are you about another attempt at a at oh, violent? Um, I, I, it could happen. I mean, the more he goes out there and the more he stirs, keeps stirring up this stuff. Right. I mean, you know, I don't know how many people were at that Ohio meeting that he had, but there's some people that go there and they're all saying, you know, uh, that the election was stolen. They right. believe him. Right. And so, you know, who knows what these crazy people will do? He reportedly wanted the Justice Department to go after shows like Saturday Night Live and who knows what other shows. Maybe my I don't know. I really don't. Have you ever felt scrutinized by the government or the Trump administration? Do you feel like they had their eyes on you for being so outspoken? Listen, I have no idea. All I know, I know a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One is that you remember that guy who planted all those pipe bombs or was talking about targeted, you know, news organizations, CNN, and there were a number of celebrities that were, you know, De Niro. And well, I got a call from the FBI Mm -hmm. saying, you know, that I was on the list of people that he was targeting as somebody he wanted to go after. I mean, that's what happens if you have a bit of a voice. And now, you know, I got a bit of a Twitter following and whatever that is. I mean, listen, I've alienated a lot of people. People hate me for uh, speaking out. And, uh, you know, but I and I, I used to actually like to go on 
uh, Laura Ingram and go on Tucker Carlson right. to be able to talk to them and say, let's have an honest, reasonable conversation. I used to go on stage with Steve Schmidt when he was a, you know, right. a Republican and other people. I like a good dialogue if it's real and we can agree on basic facts. But if you're starting to speak this crazy talk, right. then you, you, you can't talk to them. You, it's like trying to tell a blind man you can see. No, I can't. You can't see. You it know? doesn't feel like you can have those conversations anymore. Do you still get asked to go on those shows? Do you still get asked to go on Tucker? I mean, he films his show out in Maine no, now. I, I I, I, no, no, I don't get asked. Can't. I mean, I've been on his show a few times. I've been on yeah. Laura Ingram a few times. Times. I met Tucker Carlson when he was covering the Gore campaign. Right. He was a you know a journalist, and I remember having some really good conversations with him. He's mm-hmm. very smart, and uh, we had some really good conversations about you know liberalism versus conservatism, and you know smaller government, and you know lower taxes and trickle down. We you know we had those discussions, and I'm happy to have those discussions, but. Boy, we're into crazy land here, and you, you can't talk to these people. You don't want to do bunker talk. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I'm happy to talk to anybody. First of all, you have to agree that Trump lost the election fair right. and square, and right. that nobody stole it from him, and that the you know the count was accurate. You need to start with that, and then we can maybe then have a conversation. But if you can't agree to that, then who are you talking to? I agree, and it's pretty hard to have you know, a rational and real conversation when there are so many people willing to believe that people like you drink, you know, baby's blood for energy. Yes. Yeah. But will yeah. Not, well, but like won't talk about climate change. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the problem with you can't get good baby's blood these days, you know, not it's as all, many available I don't know what babies. it is. They, they don't, uh, maybe it's, just, it's the processing or something. I don't know. Now people are going to, if they don't see that, they're going to, oh, he really does. Oh, it's proof. It really represents such a distorted view of reality. It seems impenetrable to me. You must have so many friends in the media who are, who don't actually know how to report on this, who don't actually know what the next step is to take. They don't. They don't. And I I watched them struggling with it, too. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. what was interesting to me is I noticed that not only MSNBC and CNN and ABC, CBS, NBC didn't cover this rally, but Fox didn't. Mm. Uh, didn't show the rally that Trump had in Ohio. That was interesting mm-hmm. to me. Now, I don't know what Newsmax or, or OAN did, but I know that, that Fox didn't show the rally in full. They didn't show it. Mm. So I don't know, maybe maybe they're getting somewhere. I don't know. But I, I, I blame them for a lot. I blame Fox and Rupert Murdoch for a lot of what's going on. Because you look at what, what Vladimir Putin did. He knows because he thinks like a you know an old KGB guy disinformation campaign. It's classic. I mean, it's been done for years. We've done it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been done. Disinformation campaign. It used to be you drop leaflets from an airplane, you know, and people, you you poison their minds and they get to thinking that, you know, the untruths. Now you got the internet, you got the social media and you start using that as a tool and you actually poison people's minds. Right. And he's been so successful at doing it with, you know, through Trump, he had the, you know, I'm working on a project called the spy and the asset. I mean, Trump, I think for years was an unwitting asset. He didn't know he was being used, right? But all of a sudden you've got that and you can't, you know, how do you get people out of a cult? Right. How do you get them out of a cult? You know, they'll, they'll go, you know, when, when Jim Jones threw out the Kool-Aid to everybody, they Mm -hmm. all drank it except for a handful, a handful left, but most of the people drank it. 
right. and they believed it. So, you know, how do you get them out of there? And so in the meanwhile, you got democracy like hanging by a thread. Mm -hmm. And if we don't somehow restore it by saying this is true, the rule of law needs to be upheld. A man incited violence, he has to be held accountable. And also we need to be able to protect our vote. And if we can't do that, we don't have democracy. So I'm worried. I'm worried about it. What's going on in California right now? Because on the one hand, it seems like California is doing a decent job returning back to kind of a pre-COVID normal. But on the other hand, there is an effort afoot to recall the governor. What should we expect out of California as you are now speaking for all of California today? Of course I am. Of course. No, I think California has one of these weird things where they have ballot initiatives and mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm the first guy to say I've benefited from ballot initiatives. I passed one to allow early childhood education and development. And we, you know, had a cigarette tax and that raised a lot of money. So, you know, I'm loath to say, you know, it's not a way to go, but it's not the best way to go because it's not representative government. People don't know what's in these things. And you can recall somebody at any time, you know, mm -hmm. if you don't like it. I, I don't think he's going to get recalled. I mean, he has done, you know, he's he made his mistakes just like every other elected official. Mm -hmm. He's done dumb things. He shouldn't have gone to the French laundry when everybody yes. was locked down. I get all that stuff. But mm -hmm. on on balance, he's done a pretty good job. I mean, if you look at California, look at the map and where are the red spots? There's no red spots in California. We're all starting to get back to normal. The biggest problem we have and the biggest problem in the country and all over the world is climate change. That's right. the thing that that really needs to be addressed. And right. uh, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, we're doing very little to do to, to address it. Well, it's again, I mean, coming back to people who are living in a distorted reality, how do you even penetrate with discussions of something real when what is believed is so outlandish and ridiculous and their attention is so drawn to things that are so absurd yeah, when meanwhile yeah. this is a very real tactile crisis it's the biggest crisis it's the biggest existential crisis we we face mm -hmm. i mean which is you know you've got you got the planet and then you got the people living on the planet and right. so Either you have a sustainable planet or you don't, and then nobody lives. And then the other thing is, how do we take care of ourselves? And then the question is, are we going to be uh, democratic or are we going to be autocratic? And that's the other uh, thing that's in crisis right now all over the world, whether or not we're mm -hmm. going to follow democracy or autocracy. So those are two big ex existential crises existing at the same time. And I would suggest that if we don't have democracy, if we don't have real democracy, we're not going to be able to fix the, the climate crisis. Right. You are sometimes often mentioned as a celebrity who could or maybe should seek elected office. Do you do you ever do you consider that? Do you think that more progressive celebrities should think about using their influence and that name recognition to actually run in and win elections. What's your perspective on that? My feeling is it shouldn't be just because you're a celebrity. Right. You have to really do your homework. When I was passing my initiative and I spent all those years in government, I made sure that there would never be a journalist that could ask me a second, third, fourth, fifth tiered question that I didn't have the answer to. I see. I never wanted because I knew I was going to be graded on a much different curve because, oh, he's a celebrity. That's why he's there, he did, 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 all that stuff. So you better know what you're talking about right. and you better steep yourself in it. So I would say, if you have the desire to do it, 
and you really do understand, you know, how, like I say, policy, politics, and programs, government work together, how they work together, then you then you should run. I actually considered it the second time Arnold Schwarzenegger was running. And uh, I make the joke, but it was true. I mean, my kids were little at the time. Mm-hmm. I had just passed this one initiative and I was p- trying to pass another one to raise taxes on rich people. And uh, we sat with the family. There was, the, I have three kids and me and my wife and I polled 40% in my own family. I, I, I couldn't carry the family. So I figured what a blow. If I can't carry my own family, I better right. better not do it. So that's what <laughs> I'm, and then, but then you can you can still use your celebrity to get things done. I mean, we we were the first group to uh file a federal lawsuit to uh promote marriage equality. Right. And it got to the Supreme Court, and now we have a marriage equality all over the country. So mm-hmm. you know, you can do things, and we stopped uh a city from being built in the Santa Monica mountains. And we've done stuff for early childhood. So there are things you can do, but you better understand if you're going to be the, the front of something, you better understand what you're talking about. Yeah. How scared are you about complacency heading into 2022? Very. Like I'm very, because I say the word midterms to people and I watch like, you know, a nictitating membrane come across yeah. the eyes. Yeah, yeah. Like I, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is a haze across yeah. the eyes. The, the, the people think that just because Biden was elected and we've gotten rid of Trump, that we've gotten rid of all the bad stuff. But the truth of the matter is we only are hanging by a thread in the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. You know, the Senate is 50-50 mm-hmm. and the House, we are only up by a few seats. If we lose those, then we're going to have a lot of a fear of of shifting back towards autocracy. I'm really scared about it. And people really need to pay attention because, uh, you know, I've been around a long time and I've been on a lot of campaigns. And I always used to say when we were doing the 2020, this is the most important election of our lifetime, which I did say, and I believed, and it was because if he got elected a second time, forget it. I mean, Bill Barr is not coming out and saying, you know, I told him he should have done or, you know, anybody is coming out and saying, you know, uh, Trump, I I stood up to him. They didn't stand up to him. And he would have another four years to decimate our democracy. That was the most important presidential election of our lifetime. Yes. This is the most important midterm election of our lifetime, because if things start shifting, they do own the lion's share of the state legislatures. They're now passing laws voter suppression laws, which they bother me, but they don't bother me as much as laws that are being put in place to the ability to overturn an election. In other words, if you have Republican-controlled state legislature, you can say, we're just not going to allow those electors to go to Washington and cast their votes, even though the Democrat won the election. And that's why this midterm is really scary, because you've got a possibility of a Democratic candidate for president winning by seven, eight million votes, which is what we did last time, and then losing the election, losing the presidency. That could very easily be done because all you got to do is switch a few states and then you, you've changed it. So that's that scares me because then you don't have a representative democracy. Then it starts slipping into what we see in Russia where, yeah, we have elections every year. Right. That's the same thing. We don't <laughs> sure. really have elections. We have elections that are predetermined the outcome. And so to me, it should be majority rule. If you win an election by 8 million votes, you know, you, you should rule, you know, until the next guy comes along to beat you. Boy, well said. That that was terrifying. 
yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate it, it. No, but it could happen. Yeah. I keep trying to drive that message home. People have to vote on th- in this and they're trying to stop. They're doing everything. Yeah. They know they're in the minority. Yes. They know there's a shifting demographic. They know that they can't win unless they keep people of color from voting. Yes. That's the only way they can win. Yes. So that's what they're trying to do. Does it slightly horrify you that The Princess Bride is among one of Ted Cruz's favorite movies? <laughs> It does actually. It does. does it? I mean, yeah. No, I mean he he used what a to bummer. He used to be able to quote it. He could quote scenes from it. Yeah. I mean, he would on the campaign. Listen, it's uh people love the movie and uh it's it's not a political movie. It's a movie about true love <laughs> and you know, all of that stuff. And we make fun of the genre and at the same time, you know, there's something for mm-hmm. everybody and that for the adults, you know, we have, there's, you know, never get involved in a land war in Asia. And for the kids, we have, you know, big brats jumping on people. Right. <laughs> Your beloved film, The American President, presented audiences with a really an idealized version of a commander in chief. Do you think that we can ever have as broadly popular and well-respected a commander-in-chief again? Do you think that Joe Biden can be that person? Yeah, I do think that Joe Joe is that person. I mean, yeah. listen, every single person is a human being, and we're mm-hmm. all flawed, and we make mistakes, and we say the wrong thing, or whatever. The point is, of all the people in my lifetime that I was, you know, I thought Hillary Clinton was the most qualified. Joe Biden is as much or more qualified. The guy was a senator. He was vice president. He has all the experience in the world. He has compassion. He has love in his heart. He cares about people. And he has all the experience of how everything works. So, yeah, I mean, you know, is he going to make mistakes? Of course he is. But so far, he's been, it's hard to argue with what he's done. I mean, you have all these Republicans voting against the COVID relief bill, or they're going to, you know, try to vote against infrastructure or try to tie it to, you know, uh, human infrastructure and so on. Mm-hmm. But they all take credit for it because they all know that that's what the people want. His policies are polling in the 70s. You know, who has policies that they recommend that are polling in the 70s? So, yeah, he's he's done pretty good. Plus, he's put us back. I've said it from the get go because I was one of the earliest supporters of Joe Biden mm-hmm. and my liberal progressive friends said, oh, no, no. I said, no, no. We need somebody steady to right the ship. We need somebody who can, you know, calm the waters after this maniac there ran it for right. four years. And what did he do? The first time he goes abroad, he calms down our allies. They're all on board. They're all moving back towards. It's riding the ship. It's making things calmer. But we, you know, we have, unfortunately, a lot of people on the other side of the aisle that just don't want to be fair. Now, yes, they did cut an infrastructure bill, and it is bipartisan because it's got moderates from both sides. But what's going to happen when they want to do the kinds of things that are in HR1 and S1. It'll have to go through reconciliation, and then you'll probably have no Republicans voting for it again. And yet, everybody, even in the red states, are thrilled to have those things. Right, right. I do worry about our next big presidential election in terms of just the new crop of people who are stepping forward to take that mantle and run with it, who will have a better understanding of how the toys all work. 
like your Ron DeSantis, your Josh Hawley, who are smarter and more effective. They're not geniuses, but they're they're smart and they know what they're doing and they will surround themselves with more knowledgeable people and their their egos don't require as much just like constant fluffing. Like they'll actually be there doing the work and pulling those levers. Those are the people who worry me the most, I think. Well, there's up. no question they're conservative. They're very conservative, but they are not stupid. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I wasn't call me Lucy with the football, but I don't think that they're the kinds of people that would go start gutting the the State Department or the Department of Justice or calling military people suckers and losers and stuff. You're not going to have that. And so, uh, you know, yes, the pendulum swings back and Mm -hmm. forth, but you hope that at least if they are real politicians and, uh, and understand how things work, they'll start working with the other side a little bit. So that's the only hope. That's the only hope. I know that your wife took the photo of Donald Trump for the art of the deal. Is she okay? Is she okay now? Well, (laughs) she's, she, I've said this for a long time. She has a lot to atone for. (laughs) Has she She atoned for it yet? Or is this a lifetime? I I think, well, you know, let's see what happens. If (laughs) Donald Trump is indicted, which I hope he does, then maybe Mm -hmm. she will be. But yeah, no, she she took that picture that's on the cover of that book. She yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. All right, this is this has been a great conversation, rollicking. Yes, Thank you so I've much. Had a good time. I have to you. Uh, one last question for you, and it's yes, one hundred percent the most important question that I'm going to ask yeah. you this entire time. If you were to make a reboot of Misery with me in the Kathy Mays role, yes, who would you cast as the person I'm holding captive? Hmm. It's slightly torturing. That's a really good question. You know what I mean? It's a thinker. Well, here's what here's what you need to, to think about, Samantha. Okay. All right. You need to think about, you know, Annie Wilkes was in love mm-hmm. with Misery Chastain and, by extension, mm-hmm. Paul Sheldon. Right. She was in love with him, not just as a writer. She was, you know, actually in love with him. Yes. So I would ask you, Samantha mm-hmm. B., who would you have that kind of screen crush on that you would screen crush. Well, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to, uh, you know, actually cross the line. Do you? I don't know. But uh, (laughs) no, but who would you, who would you say, Oh, I wish I could be with that person. I don't know that there is someone. All right. You're giving me a lot to think about over my, that's that's your homework assignment. This is my homework. And it could be, you know, it could be Leonardo DiCaprio. It could be, you know, whoever you choose, you know, Ben Affleck. I don't know who it is. Oh boy. But uh, you have, you know, I I would give you the choice on that. I have my work cut out for me. You do have your work cut out for you. I have to thank you so much. What a delight you are. And thank you so much for dropping knowledge on us. And I just appreciate your work. I mean, I always have appreciated your work. I think you're great. And, um, And thanks for being so outspoken and taking all those body blows from all those Twitter trolls and creeps. (laughs) (laughs) You're out there doing it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Samantha. Thanks for having me. Okay, I need to squeeze in another quick break here. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. What? That was a whirlwind of a conversation. He knows a lot about a lot of different things. He does. Oh, I feel like really that that conversation should be over at dinner. I'd like to have dinner with him. I'm absolutely 
I'm dripping with sweat. I'm drenched <laughs> with sweat. I got so <laughs> hepped up and worried. I got worried about the future. <laughs> All right, let's swing it back around. Let's talk about. Let's talk about. I mean, listen. He made incredible movies and romantic comedies. Let's take it out of Samantha B. Dripping with sweat and tension about upcoming elections and take it back to rom coms, shall we? Okay, so as you guys discussed, and we talked about this earlier, Rob Reiner is something of a master when it comes to the rom-com genre. He's made, you know, When Harry Met Sally, The American President, Princess Bride. So that being said, we also know that a lot of rom-coms have pretty outlandish premises if you apply them into real Mm -hmm. life, even though in those movies, sort of the couple always winds up together in the end. We want to see what you think would happen if some of these scenarios from real rom-coms were to play out in real life, sort of, you know, what do you think would happen? Okay. Everyone would break up. That's me. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna great. like. So we can either just say that now and skip to the end, or we can yeah, go through we can go through line. them, but okay. they definitely all break up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are okay. you familiar with How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days? Uh, n- moderately. I can jog your memory. Yes, please. So Kate Hudson is a journalist writing about how to get rid of a man in just 10 days. Matthew McConaughey is a man who just happens to have made a bet that he can make any woman fall in love with him. Okay. What happens? They break up. It's terrible. <laughs> Do they even ever start dating? No, it's a nightmare. They each find out that the other person is lying within a day and a half, and uh, it's over. Like It's over before it starts. <laughs> to a journalist and a guy going on dates on a bet. No, no. <laughs> No. You don't think they could both be like, oh, we're both kind of disingenuous people and bond over that. I don't know that relationships can be extremely successful if they are predicated on an enormous lie from day one that everyone sticks to even yeah. as they're falling in love. Like, Right, right. You know, you can make it work sometimes, but when both players are involved in a deep, like I'd I just how do you how do you trust? I don't trust either of them. Sure, they're snakes. <laughs> Total serpents. That should have been the title. Yeah, um, all right, good enough. Okay. This is a horror film. Okay. <laughs> so this one is kind of is a horror film because it stars a old racist Mel Gibson as a oh, chauvinist boy. jerk who oh, gets boy. electrocuted and then gains the ability to hear women's thoughts. This was what women want, and then he uses that ability to uh, sure. You know, get an advantage at work and then also woo Helen Hunt. So could a man who briefly had the ability to hear women's thoughts successfully have a relationship with a woman? He should have just stayed electrocuted. <laughs> well, There's no... take Mel Gibson out of it <laughs> Should have finished his bath. <laughs> <laughs> How does he get electrocuted? I don't remember. He falls into the tub yeah. while holding a hairdryer. It's very convoluted. <laughs> that is not... Can you survive that? Yeah. I mean, he probably would have just died. I'm terribly <laughs> afraid of that. I don't feel like it gives you superpowers. No. I feel like it it gives you severe damage if you survive <laughs> at all. Uh, it, no, no. No one, actually, we were discussing superpowers at right. breakfast this morning. I was discussing it with my children. Sure. And I'm a really fun mom because I took the tack of each superpower that you're wishing for has a curse attached <laughs> Oh, wow. (laughs) And like invisibility has the curse of you're going to walk into a conversation where someone is deeply trashing you and that's going to happen all the time and you're going to become like a wretched. Your kids are going to have the best summer. (laughs) Slinking out of the room invisible. You're like, I don't want to go in there. I think everyone's talking about me. So uh, it's it's a cursed horror movie. Yeah, this is terrible. 
Okay. <laughs> I assume you've seen Never Been Kissed. I have, but I don't. Maybe I not don't in a while. It. Okay. Drew yep. Barrymore is a journalist. Yep. Goes undercover at her old you know high what? school and everyone makes journalists. <laughs> teacher falls for her. Oh, great. Doesn't know she's not a real student at the time. Falls for her. <sighs> Doesn't seem to be problematic in the no. movie, but with some mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. yeah, real questionable. Uh, the whole thing—it's a mess. I feel like there was a whole decade period where we were just like, journalists are the coolest. They are mm-hmm. out there falling in love all over the place. Look at these journalists just like fucking and loving each other. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at them. And then you watch Spotlight and you're like, yeah, that's a journalist. Wow. <laughs> They're not. That is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> They're not taking bets and going back to high school and like yeah. doing a Billy Madison <laughs> and then fa- the teacher falls in love with them. Anyways, right. we've all of a certain generation and we're not going to go down this road. Everyone who's probably over 40 knows at least one person who one teacher they grew up with definitely was in a relationship with multiple. Oh, people. yeah. No, that's and, I think that's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Universal. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying they would have actually these two characters would have ended up together. Oh, because so that's, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> This could have worked out. It could be that one weird couple where it's like, yeah. why did he drive her to graduation? Oh, my God. That was God. one of those ones where you're like, hmm. That seem Again, right. all of this is predicated on a lie. And also, it's, yeah. pred- it's not only is it predicated on a lie, it's then predicated on a severe <laughs> something a that is a crime. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, no, it's, nobody's yeah, okay. happy. This is awful. This is even worse Great. as far as lies go. Okay. <laughs> so this is the plot of uh, While You Were Sleeping. You may remember this. Oh. Sandra Bullock sort of inexplicably plays a lonely transit worker. She pulls her longtime crush from the path of an oncoming mm-hmm. train, mm-hmm. and he's unconscious. And at the hospital, he's in a coma, and the doctors wrongly assume that she is his fiance. Okay. She goes along with the ruse. So the family's embracing her. And then in the midst of all that, mm-hmm. she falls in love with his brother. <laughs> So she's like, it's like another lie on top of another so lie. So creepy. This is a horror. Yeah. All of these have. If it wasn't Sandra Bullock, you'd, this is. For sure. Spotlight. She can pull off anything. <laughs> All of these could so easily be horror films if you yeah. just tweaked the dialogue a little bit and didn't. And changed the I'm music. his fiance. <laughs> We're in mean? love. I live in his home. Here's my room. We're together. It's a horrible fucking nightmare. And your brother. Looks so your tragic. brother is delicious. I will now be marrying him. like the family would be like i've yeah. oh my god can you imagine the family yeah the family loves her in it yeah sure they do in real life I mean, it's there's <laughs> restraining orders and they're like she's yeah. no this is terrible multiple dateline specials this is like there's a podcast this is like sure. misery this yeah. is a little no thank you none yeah. of these are gonna turn out well Mm-mm. all right one more okay sleepless in seattle right Meg Ryan falls in love with Tom Hanks, Mm -hmm. who is a widower. Yes. She has never met him, but she heard him on a radio call-in show. Right. She flies to Seattle, watches him from across the street, Uh then leaves. Then his son flies to New York City by himself, goes to the top of the Empire State (laughs) Building. Tom Hanks then has to fly after him, finds him there, and Meg Ryan is also there. 
we are led to believe that they live <laughs> happily ever after in an elevator. There's another genre of movies where kids are just getting on planes by themselves and yes. flying across yeah. the country. The as 90s. someone who saw this as a child, mm-hmm. that was the most outlandish part. <laughs> yeah, Ticket, please. I'm eight. Oh, no. We forgot one of our children. We went all the way to Paris before we figured it out. Yeah. Like, what? Uh, <laughs> no, this is also a nightmare. This is like, this is a continuation of the story. This is like, well, that's why you're too, sleepless in Seattle. It's a nightmare. This is a nightmare. <laughs> this is a nightmare scenario. Just my kids going to the top of the Empire State Building by themselves is like, I'm like, what? And they live in New York. You did what? <laughs> so my daughter went to Queens the other day, but she didn't tell me in advance. And I was like, you went where? <laughs> by yourself? You went just like to Queens? What were you doing the what for? Like, go to Queens? That's fine, no problem. But yeah. like, wh- wh- you gotta tell you gotta tell me where you're going. I thought you went down the street. <laughs> also scary. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's fine. She's responsible, but she didn't fly across the country and go to the top of a big building to make a date for to me. meet a stranger. To With meet a strange stranger. woman. To meet no. a strange. Oh my god, you're making it's even worse. <laughs> I was like, I'm it's just Meg Ryan. Dad. But no. <laughs> I'm a strange no. woman who's in love with your dad. <laughs> These are all terrible. Yeah. These are all terrible nightmares. But thank you. This is what I'll dream about on vacation. Yes. Happy all summer. Of these. Happy summer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. I hope you liked my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, you should definitely rate, review, and subscribe to full release in Apple Podcasts. And tell your friends. Spread the word about this podcast. And if you know someone who doesn't know what podcasts are, like they've been sleeping and a transit worker has pretended to be their fiance, I don't know. Any scenario is possible. Don't shame them. Offer to help. And in the meantime, please keep sending us your comments and questions to full release at sambi.com. We might even be featured in one of our special bonus episodes exclusively available on Stitcher Premium. Don't forget to tune in to Full Frontal with Samantha B. Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. on TBS. And we will see you next Tuesday for another full release. This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Spia Baron Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by iTech. It was edited by Julia Bott and hosted by me. My name is Samantha B. I treated myself to a nice umbrella and it is worth it. Yeah, until someone steals it out of a restaurant. No one's going to steal it. No, keep it locked to your body. Put it in your belt loop. Do you do that? No, but I do keep it. (laughs)